you did not go anywhere for Memorial Day weekend yet, and you decided to, to prioritize church over everything else. So it just means you're the most spiritual people in the state right now. We're just very thankful for all that spirituality just flowing through the room. This is the real core Christians, right? Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, somebody's going to be listening online later and just totally be insulted. Um, we are in uh, the third part of a series we've been doing, and we never, this is one of the weirdest things we've ever done as far as a series. We never gave the series a title. It never had a title. Usually you, you know, you have, try to come up with some catchy, clever thing that nobody's going to remember, but we didn't do it this time. We just, we just used images, and we found these pictures of Jesus as an emoji, which is probably a little sacrilegious on some level. Uh, but what we tried to do is we were trying to describe the idea that Jesus had emotions and his emotions uh, were, were the driving factor of what he did. So it's not just trying to do what Jesus did. It's trying to, to dig in and understand why and, and what he felt and what he was getting at. So that's kind of where we're going to start. We're actually going to read our uh, scripture to start off with, and it's not on the overhead, so we're going old school, 1980s style. You've got to get out your Bible if you have a Bible. I guess it's not very 1980s style if you're going to be looking it up on a smartphone, but if you take your smartphone, if you take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 9, just read along with this passage as we jump into the topic we're going to be talking about today. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 57 and work our way through verse 62, 57 through 62. And it says this, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. The him is Jesus. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. I was kind of a late arrival to the whole emoji idea. Um, I know that that was a big thing when uh, texting started. You would put a little uh, colon or if you're really, you know, kind of sassy, a semicolon, winky face, and then the parentheses. And I could never really do it. Like I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I don't know why. It just felt something about it. It felt wrong, and I don't know why. It just felt weird to be like, you know, hope you're having a good idea or a good day, winky face. You know, I just, I, I wouldn't give somebody a winky face in real life, so I didn't feel like I could give them a winky face on a text, or I thought, I kind of thought it would be misinterpreted a little bit. You know, like, winky face, like, mm, you know, dot, dot, dot. I, I just didn't, it's nothing about it just felt right to me. But I did notice I was kind of, I, I was worse than the emojis. And here's what I do, did, and still do. I always put way too many exclamation points in my texts and my emails. If you have ever gotten a text or an email from me, just go back through it and count the amount of exclamation points in that text or email, and you'll be like, he way overuses that. Like, either he's just super excited about everything, or there's something weird going on here, like his keyboard's broken, because I way overuse it, because what I'll do is I'll text somebody, and I want them to know I'm happy and excited, so I'll just throw a couple exclamation points on there, which I decided ultimately is worse than the emoji, as far as just kind of being weird. Like, that's almost, it's almost a worse thing. Now, I'm talking about emojis because we're talking about the idea of emotions and, and the emoji conveys an emotion. Like, have you ever sent a text you meant to be sarcastic and somebody took seriously? But if you put a winky face on it, it kind of mitigates it. It's like the text version of saying, bless your heart. You can say something mean, winky face, see, it's just a joke. It's no big deal. 
And that's kind of emojis have entered our, uh, our uh, at least our written language to some degree, uh, to kind of mitigate what we say a little bit. Now, this is true. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I just read that this week, and I thought it was a little nuts. They are making an emoji Bible. An emoji Bible, and they're, they're saying it's for the millennials, which I, everything about that seems weird to me. How in the world did you, uh, like, what, what is the story of Christ on the cross going to be in emojis? Like, you know, God, how do you have an, a God emoji or a heart emoji, a cross emoji? And is there going to be a winky face at the end? God loves you, winky face. I don't know how that's, any of that's going to work. But we're talking about this idea of emotions. And, uh, and I, one of the emotions we want to talk about today, the third one in this series, last one in this series, I think is really important. I don't think there's an emoji for it. And I want to start off by asking you a question. How many of you have stuff that you need to get done? How many of you have stuff that you need to get done? Now, let's, now, all of us this week have like, yeah, I have my to-do list. I got to get it done. I got to get through some things. How many of you have stuff that needs to get done? And we're not talking about like this week, but we're talking about like this year. Like it, you've not gotten it done and you really need to get it done this year. Now, really, to be honest, it's not really this year. How many of you have stuff that really needs to get done and you've been meaning to do it for about a decade, right? I'm... For real, like you've got stuff in the garage that you bought like 10 years ago and you're like, I'm meaning to get around to that and I just, I need to get that done and I just haven't gotten it done. And I think that there's a lot of us who have this like, this, this goal to do things, but, but it's tough for like the goal to, to, to come into to contact with our actual actions. What I'm about to say, I think is true for many, many different levels of our lives, uh, and we're going to talk about it in one aspect, but it's, it's a kind of a general truth, and it's this. Our actions struggle to keep up with our intentions. Our actions struggle to keep up with our intentions. Would you agree with that? Our actions struggle to keep up with our intentions, just generally speaking. I intended to only eat one donut. But when I got done with church, I walked back out to the entryway, and there were extra donuts there, and Rick said I could have one for free, and so then I ate five, and... I only intended to eat one. Or how about this? I, I intended to write a thank you card. I just never got around to it. You know, I got married 30 years ago, and I still have the thank you card, and I wrote dear so-and-so, and I just never filled it out. It could be more serious. Like, I intended to apologize. I intended to, to, to let him know I was really sorry, and sometimes I lay awake at night thinking, man, I wish I had actually apologized. Now, our actions struggle to keep up with our intentions, and this is, this is true, and maybe it's especially true of our faith. It's especially true probably of our faith or our following of Christ. Our actions uh, struggle to keep up with our intentions. Our intentions are to be more generous. Our intentions are to be more patient and loving with our spouse or just people in general, maybe a coworker. Our intentions are, like we've tried to focus on somewhat this year, our intentions are to be more evangelistic. We want to talk to that neighbor, and we've been neighbors with them for five years, and we've just never really interacted with them, with them in a way that like, let them know about our faith. That's our intentions. And I want you to just take a second and think about what your spiritual discipleship, followership intentions have been. What have they been, and what have you had difficulty? What have you struggled getting to align with your actions? I'm going to do something to kind of try to help us illustrate this. I've got a couple of whiteboards up here, and I need uh, volunteers that are going to hold these up. So I asked Bill and Linda Tatum. They've been married for a few years, right? Tw- two, four, is that four? Twenty? Is that the symbol for twenty? So Bill and Linda, would you come up here? I'm going to have you hold signs that say intention and action, and this is no reflection on your personality. No, no, no. 
intention. This is high pressure to spell words right when you're up on stage. Intentions. Now, this is no reflection of who you are or what you do, but I'm going to give Bill the intentions one. He seems like a guy that has lots of good intentions. And Bill, I want you to stand over here. So you hold up the intention. And, and again, you know, not necessarily saying anything about the individuals, but Linda seems like an action type, doesn't she? She seems like a get-it-done type. Would, would, you, would you agree with that, Bill? Would you agree that Bill's kind of more intentions? You would? Really? Really? Oh, man. Married 20 years. You can be honest with each other. 22. That's what the two, two. I got gotcha. you. All right. So you hold that up. Bill and Linda, we got some actions and we got some intentions. I just want to talk briefly while they're holding these up a little bit about this idea. And I want you to uh, see whether or not you agree with me. Now, our intentions, so Bill over here, our intentions seem to carry a disproportionate sense of satisfaction. And what I mean by that, have you ever noticed that you feel really good about yourself when you, you're like, in your mind, you're like, you know what, I'm going to start running. Now, Bill's a runner, he jogs, and you know, because he puts it on Facebook like he talked about earlier, which is fine, it's totally fine. He has an intention. Um, So, Bill is, you know, you, if you've ever decided to like start exercising or start working out or start eating better, you've made this mental decision and you've thought, wow, I'm a healthier person because I've made the decision to be a healthier person, right? That's like the intention to do it. So for example, if you're like, you know what, I think I really want to get into running. I want to start running. And you go to the store and you buy running shoes. You feel like you've lost weight after you bought the shoes. You didn't do anything. You bought the shoes and you feel healthier because you've got all these great intentions. And so it feels really good. Now the problem is there's this gap between our intentions and our actions. So we've got these running shoes that have sat in the closet for 10 years. And you're like, I'm just about to get to that. Next week, right after I get a few other things worked out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the running. And the shoes look pristine. You could take them back and they would never know that you bought them 10 years ago. Other than the style is out of date or whatever. But our intentions are there. Or maybe you thought, you know, I'm going to lose weight. This week, I'm just going to eat salad. Just salad. That's the whole week I'm going to eat salad. I'm going to be so healthy. And you, you started, uh, you know, you went to the store and you decided salad is what it is for me. And then you got there and they had this salad that had like bacon and beef and chicken. And, you know, it ended up, it turns into like a pizza. But it had like, you know, a couple of leaves of spinach on it. And you're like, that's kind of a salad, right? It's got some stuff on it. Our intentions are great. You felt better because your intentions were in the right place. But the difficulty is, is there's this, di- this distance, this gap between our intentions and our actions, generally speaking, in a lot of areas. And this is the funny thing, because our actions, have you ever noticed this? Our actions often work in direct opposition to our intentions. Now, some of you are like, wait, what, what? have you ever done something? Have you ever said, I'm going to do this thing, and then you did the opposite thing? Yeah, you have? Okay, good. That wasn't very, like, uh, confident there. Maybe you guys are better than I am. But I meant to do that, and I wound up doing this. And here's the thing. The more we kind of ignore this gap, this distance, the wider the gap gets. The further away our intentions—I'm not going to push you off the stage—and our actions get. The further away they get. And the further away they get, the more difficult it is to try to bring our intentions And our actions together. Which is why you as a human being, especially you as a spiritual human being, have for years intended to do something that you haven't quite been able to put into action. Would you agree with that? I know that that's true for me. Would you agree with that? That there are are qualities that you want to have as a Christian. You just can't quite bring your intentions and actions together. Correct? Correct? 
All right. Thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Linda. You guys are great at holding signs. It's fantastic. That, that's well-deserved applause, Hold, holding signs. You, did you know there are jobs you can get that are holding signs? So you guys are pretty good at it. You could, you could do that if you want. Job, job holding signs. I remember, um, I remember being younger than I am now. <laughs> I remember being younger and thinking, you know, as you get older, you just get it pulled together, right? Your, your life just gets together. You looked at the older people in, in your life, and you're like, they have their lives together. So what must happen is, as you age, you just become a better person, right? And then you got older, and you realized, I'm pretty much the same person. There must be some other component that goes into developing who I am. Because now I'm just older and I'm not a better person. And I feel like now I'm behind everybody else because I haven't changed my actions. Our actions struggle to keep up with our intentions. And they drift kind of further apart. Here's the thing. When we see somebody pull those two things together, isn't it impressive? When we see someone pull their actions and their intentions together, aren't we impressed by that? There's a uh, gentleman I read about a couple weeks ago who just graduated from college. And that's something a lot of people do. He was uh, 52 years old. And so that's, you know, it's a little late in the game. You can go to the next slide if you want for me. He was 52 years old. Uh, and and he's, from, um, he's from the former Yugoslavia. And his name, I'm going to mispronounce this, I'm sure. But I, I wrote down the pronunciation guide. His name is Gats Filipi. And he graduated from Columbia University. Now, now that's great. Fantastic. Millions of people graduate from college every year. He was a little late, so, so who cares, right? But he, this is, let me give you a little bit of backstory, and I think you'll be impressed about his accomplishment. So he came over from Yugoslavia when he was 30 years old and spoke zero English, no English at all. He knew he wanted to get an education, but he had to start by learning the language. He had to start learning English. So he got a job at Columbia University as a janitor, and he took English lessons for seven years And then, after seven years of English lessons, he applied to Columbia, got accepted. And he took one or two classes a semester while he worked his job. So he'd go in, he would take, you know, his classes during the day, and then at night he would do his janitorial work. I mean, it was like these full, 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 full days of of work and classes trying to get all this done. And finally, I think it took him something like seven, eight, nine years, something like that, and he graduated with honors from Columbia University. Now, here's the thing about this. He had to learn English in order to go to college, and then he had to work full-time while he was in college. So here's this guy who had an intention and actions, kind of pulled it together, and you're like, well, that's impressive. He made the news. You know, there's kind of some special stuff made about what he did. That, that is impressive. It's pretty cool that he, he did that. I, on the other hand, still have boxes that I haven't unpacked from when we moved to Minnesota almost 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, I really need to get to that. And sometimes my wife will remind me, hey, can you please get to that and take care of that? Oh, yeah, I'm going to get to that soon after I do a couple other things. I intend to get to that, and my actions just can't quite get there. But when I see someone who's able to pull it together, I'm pretty impressed. Someone who's like, you know what, this is what I'm going to do, and then they do it, that's impressive. Because we hear people make claims all the time. This is what my plans are, and their plans just never work out. Their plans just never happen. None of us, but here's the thing about this. None of us are comfortable with that intention-action gap. None of us are comfortable with that. 
We don't like that about ourselves when we stop and think about it. So the way we have to handle it, the way we have to live with ourselves in order to close or deal with that gap, it's because it's a little too much work to actually close the gap. So how do we handle the gap? It's a one-word answer. We got an excuse. That's what we got. That's what we fill that gap with between our intentions and our actions. We have an excuse. We say something like, especially when it comes to discipleship, patience. Eh, you know, patience isn't really my thing. That's not what God gifted me with. Some people are good at it, not me. Some people say, you know, I've got a lot of other things going on in my life. I'm busy right now. I've got things to do. I've got things to think about. I've got a family. I just don't have the, the space for sharing my faith with the neighbors around me. There's just too much going on in my life right now. Maybe we say something like, you know, I always meant to be more generous. I always intended to be more generous, but it just kind of got away with me. I got bills. I got things going on. I, I just, you know, there's other stuff going on. I mean, life, I'm just not, I, I, I wasn't as blessed as other people were financially, and I just wasn't ever able to quite pull it together. And so we've got to build in the gap between our intentions and our actions something, because we can't just live with that. There's got to be something that we got going on right there. How many of you have ever... Um, watched a, a show that highlighted this uh, kind of, I don't it's not a recent phenomenon for sure, but it's talked about more recently, about people um, who struggle with hoarding. Have you ever seen those shows? And the show is called Hoarders. Some of you just looked at your husband or wife and like, that's you. That was funny. I could totally see what just happened. My wife would look at me and be like, that's you because you have those boxes that you haven't unpacked for a decade and they're still in your garage. Obviously, you don't need that stuff. You're a hoarder. But a few years ago, these shows were really popular, and, uh, and if this phenomenon passed you by, let me explain a little bit. Uh, hoarders were, were people that basically kept everything, everything, stuff they could, no way that they could use, they kept it, and it just began to, uh, to multiply and then disarray. Now, during the show, they have people that come into the houses and help clean up, but because hoarding isn't just this thing where people don't, you know, they collect too many things. There's some stuff going on under the hood a little bit mentally. They have psychologists come in and try to help a person walk through that situation. It's not just as simple as saying, let's get rid of some stuff. Um, so the psychologist will come in and they'll talk to this person and they'll say, like, what's going on? How can we help you? And these people always have a reason for why they hoard, why their house is the way that it is. How many of you are looking at that and saying, that looks like my garage? <laughs> um, but I, I uh, one of my, I don't watch the, the show very often, but I, I did watch a show one time, and one of my favorite things that I saw happen was this guy who was cleaning the house out. He picked up this rock, just a, a rock. It's not a special rock. It wasn't a rock from a special place. Just a rock that was in the house, and he picked it up, and he threw it outside into, like, you know, this landscaping area with rocks. And the, the person who, you know, the, the homeowner, the hoarder, was like, hey, I had plans for that rock. And I... I just, that line for me is so funny. Hey, I had plans for that rock. You know, like, well, can go outside and get a rock. It's not that big of a deal. But here's the, uh, here's some of the excuses that they used. Here's some of what they said. Said things like, cleaning isn't really my thing. Okay, understatement. Uh, they said, I've been under a lot of stress. They said things like, you know, it just got away from me. Uh, and then they said, finally, things like, I had plans for that rock, which is just my favorite line, so I had to throw it in there. <laughs> I just thought, I had plans for that rock. That's so funny to me. Now, here's the thing. With the exception of that last one that I just threw in there, how many of those excuses sound familiar to you? How many of you have used those yourself? 
Generosity, just, it's not really my thing. Patience, it's not, not really my thing. This is not my thing to do that. Uh, you know, I've been under a lot of stress. And so, yes, I snapped at you. Yes, I was angry. But my life right now is stressful. So that's the reason my intentions and my actions haven't been able to come together the way I hoped, the way I wanted. Things just kind of got away from me. Sounds familiar. I'm not saying we're hoarders, but we kind of use the same excuses. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. I do have that verse up on the screen. Luke chapter 9, verse uh, 57. Uh, in verse 56, it says, Then he, this is Jesus, and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you. Here's my intentions. Here's what I want to do. I will follow you wherever you go. That's my goal, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. Where, whatever happens, whatever you do, uh, I'm going to follow you. Jesus replied, look, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but if you follow me, your life isn't going to be so good. This isn't going to be an easy thing, and he's trying to tell them that your intentions and your actions are going to struggle coming together. I think my mic is banging around. Is that me, or do one of you praise team members have your mic on and are banging on it? Um, I'll just see if it's, I'll see if it's me. It's me? Oh, man. I hate it if it's me. I'm going to take this off. Can I borrow your mic? That's driving me nuts. While we're taking a little break from the sermon here, is it a little warm in here? Are you guys warm in here? All right, let's do that. Let's see, uh, Lane, will you will you turn the air conditioning down a little bit? We're just taking a little break from the sermon. This is halftime for the sermon. If you need to talk to somebody, you know, we just gotta adjust things every once in a while. There we go. Yeah, two minute, yeah, two minute warning. Good luck with that, Paul. I, I intend to get done in two minutes. We'll see if my actions can keep up with that. So he said, I will follow you. But Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Look, it's going to be hard. I I want you to know that when it comes to implementing this, this is going to be a difficult thing, right? And then he said, verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. This is Jesus asking another person, follow me. But the other man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. It seems like a reasonable excuse. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh language. Still another said, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, wait a second. You read verses like that, and you're like, Jesus, you're being a little harsh. Because those are not bad things. A guy wanting to bury his father, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. A guy wanting to say goodbye to his family, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That seems a little harsh. And so through the years, people have tried to figure out how do you mitigate the words of Jesus so that they don't seem so difficult. And some people have come up with reasons like, well, you know, the guy who wanted to bury his father, I bet you his father wasn't even dead yet. He was like, after my father dies, after I bury him, then I'll follow you. But the verse doesn't say that. The verse says, I, 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 can I go bury my father first? And Jesus says, nope. You want to follow me? Let's get serious about this. And can I go say goodbye to my family? I'll follow you. I want to follow you. My intentions are to follow you. Can I just go say goodbye to my family? And Jesus says, no. You can't start this and then go back and do something else. You can't do that. There's no, there's no, uh, uh, no one who puts his hand to the plow is fit and turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. That sounds so harsh. But I want to give you a really wild idea because something very interesting is happening in these passages. And here's the wild idea. These verses mean exactly what they say. 
These verses mean exactly what they say. Now, wait a second, Patrick. Are you saying if my father dies, I should not bury him? If, are you saying if I want to commit my life to service in God that I shouldn't go say goodbye to my family? No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand. Let me give you an exa- example of what I'm talking about. In, uh, in Hebrew culture, Eastern culture, then and now, family is the highest social moral value. The most important thing. And we have that to some degree, but people still sacrifice their families at the altar of, of their careers and, and their self to some degree. But in Eastern culture, family is the highest moral social value. So, for example, if you go to certain countries and somebody says, well, tell me a little bit about yourself, they'll tell you, oh, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle, I'm a son. In Western culture, people say, tell me a little bit about yourself. You say, well, I'm an engineer, or I'm a garbage man, or I work at this place, or I do that. We, we talk about our accomplishments and our careers, but in other cultures, they talk about who they are in relationship to their family. Family is the highest moral value, and what Jesus is saying in this passage is, I take your highest moral social value, and that still is not an excuse for not following me, for not doing what I want you to do. The most important thing that you have in your life is not more important than me. It's not more important than following me. These are, listen, these are legitimate, valid excuses, and they still aren't more important than discipleship. Sure, you can say goodbye to your family. Sure, you can bury your father. But you cannot sacrifice following Jesus at the altar of those things. Family is not more important than discipleship. Even good things are not good enough reasons to put off following Christ. Did you hear that? Even good things are not good enough reasons to put off following Christ. Jesus destroys our excuses in the gap between our intentions and our actions. When we say, God, I have good intentions. Please judge me on my intentions. I know this is why I can't actually fulfill those intentions. Jesus says that excuse means nothing. That excuse is completely invalid, and we're going to talk about why it's invalid here in just a second. But listen, this is so important, church. It's one of those things that just, if we take this away, I'd be so happy. If your good thing keeps you from doing God's best thing, it's the wrong thing. Some of you are like, oh, wait a second here. Hang on. If your good thing keeps you from doing God's best thing, it's the wrong thing. I'm a little satisfied that you're not feeling that. You know why? I hope that's challenging to you. I hope that's challenging to your choices. I hope that's challenging to your intentions. I hope that's challenging to your actions. If you're a good thing, but God, it's a good thing. It's my family. It's my my neighbors. It's a good thing. Listen, if it's not God's best thing, it's the wrong thing. It's like kids at bedtime. Hey, Dad, uh, I'm thirsty. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Now you are concerned about being well hydrated? For the last uh, 16 hours that you've been awake, you couldn't have cared less. I could have offered you a glass of water in the previous 16 hours, and you don't care at all. In fact, I tried to. And now, when I want you to go to sleep, now you're concerned about getting a drink of water. Or, Dad, I'm hungry. Now, that's a tough one, too, because you as a parent, you don't want to deprive your children of, of sustenance that they need. But we'll, my little, my little uh, four-year-old Liam, Dad, I'm hungry. Well, see, Liam, we have this thing called dinner. And at dinner... We offered you food. It was good food. 
and we, gave, we put a plate in front of you, and you did not want to eat at dinner time, and now when it's time to go to bed, suddenly you're concerned about sustenance. Suddenly you're concerned about the nourishment that you need. Now, we'll always, of course, give him something, but we, <laughs> this is a little secret. We, we try to give him something he won't like, but that's healthy, so that he'll eat at dinner and not eat at bed, but you gotta, you know, you gotta give him something. This isn't, you know, Victorian England, where you just send the kids off to bed without uh, anything, and then they, you know, waste away. This is my favorite, because especially when you're potty training children, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. Listen, I'm very suspicious about that claim. I think you don't want to go to bed. I don't think you actually have to go to the bathroom. However, there's a risk. Because <laughs> if I do not allow you to go to the bathroom, and you go to the bathroom in the bed, I'm also going to be very frustrated about that. So, yes, go to the bathroom, but there better be a deposit in the toilet. If there is not, you're going to be in trouble. Now, kids who are really good at this, <laughs> you guys are like, why are you talking about this at church? <laughs> kids who are really good at this can get an extra 30 minutes or so out of their bedtime routine because all of a sudden they care about things. These are good things, but all of a sudden now they care about them when it keeps them from doing something else. And I think that's the way a lot of us Christians are. We're like kids at bedtime where God wants us to do this thing. He wants us to sacrifice this thing. He wants us to give up this thing. He wants to prioritize this thing. He wants us to focus on this thing. And we're like, well, God, but this other good thing. I got this other good thing in my life, and it's going to really keep me from that. Listen, if your good thing keeps you from God's best thing, it's the wrong thing. In our faith, to close this intention action gap, we have to be convinced that following Christ is the single most important thing that we can do. The single most important thing we can do. I want you to look at one last verse real quick as we begin to wrap up. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Notice I said begin to wrap up. That just gives you an indication we're not quite wrapping up. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. says this, as the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, as the time approached for Jesus to do what God had sent him on earth to do, as the time approached for Jesus to do God's best thing, this is the emotion we want to talk about. It says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The, the, the verse actually literally means Jesus set his face. Set his face, meaning he determined. He was like, this is time. I have to do this. This is what God wants. I am determined to do it. And from that point on, Jesus was uniquely focused on taking steps that would put him on the cross. There have been lots of reasons, a lot of good reasons to avoid that cross. But Jesus determined, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There is one verse in the Bible toward the end of the, the New Testament that gives us a little bit of a glimpse into uh, what Jesus was thinking. And I know he was fully convinced that the outcome is worth any cost. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, there's such a, a, a neat passage that talks about this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. Because Jesus was fully convinced that the outcome was worth the cost, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to, I, I want to wrap up by saying this. Some of you may be feeling like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a little beat up. I got to get my intentions and my actions together. I got to do what God wants me to do, and I, I got to do it. But you know what? You cannot will, self-will, discipline. You cannot will yourself into being a better person. Did you know that? If we could just say, you know what? I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to resolutely set my face. I'm going to be determined. I'm just going to make it happen. If we could be better people just by our own will, if we could just grab ourselves by the shirt collar and say, I'm going to do this, then we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need his sacrifice on the cross. We wouldn't need the Holy Spirit to shape us and guide us. We have to be determined to close this gap between what we want to do and what we actually do, but we're not, that's not going to happen without the help of Christ. Your life is not going to improve much more than marginally without Christ living in you. Without that, this is all kind of pointless. You could train yourself to run a marathon. You could, you could make yourself go back to school. You could, do, you could accomplish all these great things, but you're only marginally going to improve. You're essentially going to be the same person you always have been without Christ, without him coming in to shape our lives. I want to read a, a quote from you that I think is so valuable. It's from C.S. Lewis out of Mere Christianity. And this is him speaking from the point of view of Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, give me all of you. As if Jesus were saying this to you, imagine this. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. No half measures will do. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self. In my image, give yourself uh, give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. If we have, if you are a Christian sitting here this morning like me and have this gap between our intentions and our actions, the only solution, the only solution is to submit completely, fully to God. That's our only option. We can't will ourselves in, into being better people as if we can somehow circumvent the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let me ask you this question, three questions. What is it that needs to get done in your life? What is it that needs to get done in your life? What can you no longer put off in the pursuit of Christ? And what can you not risk completely in your life, not risk completely surrendering to God? What needs to change? What needs to close in that gap between our actions and our intentions? Church, if we can't figure this out, then we'll have these intentions. And we'll be like, okay, this week, this week, this week, I'm going to get it. And you know what's going to happen 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now? We'll still have these good intentions. And we'll never have become that person that God is calling us to be and is going to develop us into through his help and his spirit and his will. We're going to close out in a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask Dave Sutherland if you would come up and lead us. And my challenge to you this week is to don't not just let your intentions